0: Good morning, C3 family. Welcome. Shirley and I greet you in the name of our Savior. If you're a student, you are dismissed to go with Ms. Morgan and Mr. Weldon and Ms. Hannah. If, if you haven't already gone, um, welcome. My, as August said, my bride's home and I'm very happy. I guess that's the... You've never been away from me that long, have you? Other than when I was in... When you you I used, used to,
1: to do the traveling.
0: I used to take these, do these projects all over the world. And I'd be gone for two and two and a half weeks at yep. times. But That's a long it's long. Different. different me being gone and me being gone. Yeah, it is. is it's it? Very, it's okay. a lot different. Yeah. Okay. It is. All
1: right. Yes. You'll have to tell me
0: about that. <laughs> but I'm happy you're here. Nice to be home. Um, I was praying for y'all this morning, early this morning. And... Um, you know, this is the, what, the fifth Sunday of Lent? Oh, Lord help us, Tommy's going to say an ugly word about me if I don't do these announcements first, so hold on a minute. I um, want that. Tonight we have small group at 5 o'clock at Kim and Jerry Bowden's house. And uh, I don't know, the last time we gathered for this, it was, it was, we had a cool discussion. It was great. It was, just, it was, I don't know, it was just sort of simple and cozy and straightforward and we had a great time so if you're not doing anything we have child care and Tommy's gonna have pizza and we just sit around and we'll uh John what are we talking about tonight heaven oh, What is that we're gonna talk about heaven tonight um, yes yeah so for some of y'all uh, that's something you're looking forward to and for some of yeah. you then uh, maybe you ought to start make think about making some reservations but um uh yeah we ought to have a good discussion and so I hope that, uh, that you can join us tonight. The Saturday morning before Easter, which I guess is three weeks from yesterday maybe. Is that close? Um, the Saturday morning before Easter, our church family is going to gather at Shelby Farms around one of those pavilions over there by the, uh, the playground and the, where the horses are, the stables. And uh, we're going to just enjoy one another. Enjoy the day. Uh, we'll have lots of good food, Derek's making, bar- I don't know where Derek is, but we're making barbecue, or he's making, I'm not making anything, he's making barbecue, and we'll have all kind of games for the kids, and the Easter egg hunt, it'll just be a nice, fun time, it'll last a couple of hours, we did it last year, the Saturday before Easter, and it was just great. And it's so in two weeks? It's in two it's weeks? It's in two weeks, yeah, yeah there's okay. the dates and all. Oh, well there it. you yeah. go, Well, there you go, all that, so please go online, uh, go to our church website, and there's a a link that you can go to to sign up. We, we need to know if you're coming or not so that we can prepare for the food. So please do that. Okay. Um, talk to Tommy. Uh, he'll be able to tell you how to do all that, okay? It was great last year. Um, you yeah, come. You please it's come fine. if you can. Uh, let's see. Don't forget about Thursday nights, every Thursday night, we get except last Thursday night, but we normally gather on Thursday nights at our house um, from 6 to 7, yeah, mm-hmm. 6 to 7, and we study the Bible together and then we uh, pray for some things that are important uh, to us, and uh, if you can come, and we try to start, uh, as they would say in Belgium, stipped tijd," stipt, and uh, uh, we end at 7, so... If you can come and be a part of that, we sure would love for you to do it. And as I said, is that it? going to cover everything? I hope so. Um, this is the fifth Sunday of Lent. And um, I was just praying this morning early about that. And I was just thinking about um, the Lord Jesus and His final week before He died on the cross for us. And I've... I'm not on, never have been, and Lord willing, never will be. But I've never on Facebook or what's the other one? Social uh,
1: media. So on social
0: media, Instagram. I'm not on social media. Yeah. But I know because I live with somebody who is that it's a really big deal how many likes you have and how many people you have in your
1: following. You. Following
0: your yep. followers. And I know that that's probably true for some of y'all, or definitely true for those that you know. But I was just wondering about that last week in the life of Jesus. Uh, Wonder how many likes he would have gotten. Wonder how many... uh, uh, Just wonder how... What his social media profile would have looked like the last week of his life and how the popularity of his culture did not drive what he did nor how he saw or felt about himself. And uh, for some reason I think he's smarter than us and uh, there were things that determined how he saw himself and how he felt about himself. There were influences, but it wasn't the popularity or the favor of the masses. And so I just would appeal to us. In fact, it was the opposite. It seemed like it was getting, his numbers were shrinking. The closer he got to the cross, they weren't growing. And... Um, I don't know, does that make sense what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just, we need to be careful about that. Okay, all right, I'm going to give you a little, uh, not a quiz, but I'm going to ask you a question and see okay. how many you can get. Uh, well,
1: since I have notes, I'm going to yeah, do I pretty i you well. a little cheat sheet, yeah, yeah.
0: In the English language, we have lots of phrases that came almost directly from the Bible. These phrases wouldn't exist in the English language save they were first in the Bible. Yep. Can you give me some? Can you think of some?
1: You could, too, if you think about it for just one yeah, second. Yeah, think about
0: some that you'd say.
1: Right, popular phrases are things that are in the, the language that um, came directly from literature, and, and today the Bible in particular, uh, scapegoat, yeah. blind leading the blind, uh, the skin of our teeth, um, um, eat, drink, and be merry. I've got a lot, a long list. More than a- a, I've got about a hundred. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we don't uh, go fire and brimstone. I'm not. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Pearls before swine. The prodigal returns. It just goes on and on and on. Phrases that we have from the Bible: um, Wits end, forbidden fruit, the eleventh
0: hour. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's Lots. bunches of them, yeah. yeah the Prague returns yeah. pearls before you said that, yeah, yeah. So, okay, um, we're gonna look at one that we didn't mention yet. That's right. Here in just a second. That's right. Um, what I want to do is I want to read the passage that we're gonna look at today out of Mark chapter fourteen, and I'm gonna start in verse. Let's see here. I'm gonna start in verse forty three, of Mark fourteen. And let me give you the background real quickly. Uh, this is the night, this is Thursday night. The night before Jesus ultimately stands before the, the, the officials of Israel and Rome and is uh, tried, condemned, and killed on, on that Friday. This is the Thursday night before, okay? And uh, what has just taken place before the passage I'm going to read to you, is that Jesus and the twelve have gathered in an upper room to celebrate the Passover. Uh, At this meal, Jesus predicts to the twelve that he will be abandoned, that he will be betrayed, and that he will be condemned and put to death. Um, At some point in the meal, Judas slips away and uh, goes to meet with the Jewish officials, reps, henchmen, and the Roman soldiers. So he's having a meeting with this crowd of people that are going to come in just a minute to arrest him. While Judas is doing that, Jesus takes the other eleven, to the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, I was going to say where they pray, but actually Jesus prays and the other 11 are sleeping. Uh, And then at one point the mob led by Judas comes uh, and Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be and he finds Jesus and um, they arrest him and take him away. Okay, so you know that you know what's going on here. So let me read this to you real quickly. Mark 14, I'm going to start in verse 43. Just as Jesus was speaking to the disciples, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. And then one of those, we know from the Gospel of John that this was Peter. Um, Mark didn't, Rat Peter out, but John did. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. That's not what he was aiming at, but that's the the servant of the high priest was quicker than Peter uh, estimated. Am I lead? Here's the question that we're going to look at Am I leading a rebellion? Or the exact same Greek word could be translated revolution am I leading a rebellion or a revolution said Jesus that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me but the scriptures must be fulfilled then everyone deserted, deserted him and fled. And a young man, the author of this book, Mark, then a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, him, Jesus, he, Mark, fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Um, I would just, clearly I've been spending a lot of time in the, in the Gospels uh, looking at the passages of scripture dealing with Passion Week the last week of Jesus' life before he died and I was just thinking this week a lot about this this um, incident where Jesus is arrested uh, by a mob of Roman soldiers and Jewish people uh, in the garden and Judas leading them to do this. There's three people in this story that I want us, Lord willing, if we have time to look at for a few minutes. And one of those is Judas, one of those is Peter, and one of those is Jesus. And uh, I was just struck by that, number one, the statement that says that Judas led a mob that were armed with swords and clubs. And then Jesus responds with the question, am I, or do you think that I'm leading a revolution, or a rebellion? And what he's saying there, let me sort of jump ahead, what he's really saying there is, do you think that the revolution, number one, that the revolution that I am that you say I'm starting it's going to be a, revolu- a, revolu- a, re- a revolution or a rebellion that can be accomplished by swords and clubs but also do you think it's a revolution or a rebellion that can be stopped by swords and clubs that's what he's really asking and I just wanted us to think for a little while this morning about this idea of the sword. This sword that so many of the soldiers were holding when Jesus was arrested. And those clubs, you could add those, that the Jewish the Jewish uh, leaders, reps, they would have been holding clubs. The soldiers would have been holding swords. And just what that sword represented those swords represented a lot more than just a literal sword it represented power it represented authority it represented a system of might when you had a sword you got your way. You won. People with swords win. People without swords don't win. People with swords can compel other people to do what they want. People without swords can't. So that sword is really a it's it's a, it represents something much bigger than just a literal metal sword. It represents the authority of the religious establishment of Israel. It represents the authority and the power of the Roman Empire. It represents force. It represents that which can be used to compel. And I think that's why Judas told them to bring swords. He wanted them To compel Jesus. There's a lot of, if you read much about that week in the life of Jesus, scholars are, man, there's lots of opinions, lots of perspectives, lots of thoughts on what was going on. And at least the scholars that I read would be split right down the middle as to whether Judas made this bargain with the Jewish and Roman authorities to end Jesus' absurd mission. A lot of scholars would say that. Judas finally realized that what Jesus was about, he hitched his wagon to a a star that was plummeting to earth, and he wanted it to end. And so he created a scenario with the Jewish and Roman authorities armed with swords to come and stop the insanity. A whole bunch of other, and I'm not like sharp guys, smart guys, not, I don't mean fringe knucklers, I mean sharp people. Um, they would all say, no, 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 that's not what he was doing. He knew who Jesus was. And he, but he was frustrated with Jesus' timeline, he wasn't moving fast enough. We're messing around with the sick and with prostitutes and with lepers and poor people and all this teaching and discipleship and feeding the hungry. and uh, we, When's this kingdom coming? When do I get a seat at the table? This is not moving fast enough. And he believed that if he could put Jesus in a situation like this, happen exactly the way Judas wanted that Jesus would reveal His true colors. He, the Father, Yahweh, would not let Jesus' mission end in disaster. And so, the Father and Jesus would, would reveal to everyone this kingdom that Jesus had been teaching about and promising. I don't know which of those is right. doesn't make any difference both have merit what is significant to me is that Judas understood a principle of life that almost all of us understand and embrace as well and that principle is that power and the tools of power help us get our way. Judas brought swords and soldiers and deception and the authority of Rome and Israel to accomplish what he wanted. To make life and people work the way he wanted them to. Swords, the world's way. Swords, guns, whatever you want to use. Weapons have historically been used to compel, to achieve, to gain, to win, to get your way. Uh, David said it in 1 Samuel 17. He's a young boy standing there with a slingshot in front of this huge giant. And he tells Goliath, You come to me today with sword and spear and javelin. Why? Why did Goliath bring weapons? To win, to get his way, to make life work the way he knew was best. Paul talks about it in Romans 13. It's a big chapter, Romans 13. with a lot going on. But one thing that Paul declares is governments hold the sword because they have authority to make people do what they should. Force. Might makes right. It helps us conquer and win. It helps us make people obey and behave
1: and if you think about the second illustration that that Larry gave of what that could mean and um, what theologians think that might could mean with Ju- Judas I think we could it's not too far of a step to say that we think that with the sword or a metaphorical sword something of great influence um, that we can then force God's hand you know that we actually have the, the power or the might or the uh, the, the raw hubris, ego, to f- that we could force, you know, God's hand.
0: I hadn't even thought about that, Cheryl. You we know. talked about that Thursday night oh, at Kim and Jerry's house. Yeah. Um, I mean, Judas about, thought he could manipulate we can bind, the Son of God. We can bind and we can loose, mm-hmm. literally, control the actions of God. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, i would not, yeah, that's, So, what are some swords, I don't think most of us are walking around with swords, right? But we do have, we have have a quiver full. What are some of our swords?
1: You know, a short list would be things that, again, that we think that we we can move people, influence people, force people. Uh, Money. You know, I just have more money than you. Um... Influence, which I think is important uh, with Larry's opening about social media, which you may or may not know this language. But, um, you know, somebody gets on YouTube and does one thing, and all of a sudden they've got a million followers. That's a real thing, and so they become an influencer is the language. And so, you know, they really—and do they actually influence people? They do who who watch that. Um, uh, Connection, popularity, beauty, education, and intellect— we think, well, I can manipulate you, I can control you, or I can, I'm at least, at least I'm better than you, stronger than you, because of my intellect, because of my education.
0: Threat. Uh, I just was thinking about. Threat. Is you know, that be- what you yes, threatening. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Bullying. Uh, I can shame you. I can be angrier than you. There are a lot of things, lots, as many as you can think of, that can be used in human hands. We're not talking about physical swords. We don't have to. Uh, to manipulate, to control, or to try to... To achieve your goal. Uh-huh, to get what yeah, I want.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in my relationship with you, um, I, do, I think you would say that I do infinitely better now, but for a huge part of our marriage, the tool of choice in my quiver... I had plenty. I did not lack four swords. No one okay? does, by the way. But uh, mine was anger. I knew that if I got angry... She would give in and I would get in my way. Why not? If it works, that was my sword because she doesn't, she hates anger, she hates ruffled, you know, feathers and water. She likes everything. So she knew, I, I knew that if, if I got angry, I would win, I could control her behavior. I don't know what your sword is but I'll bet you have one. One or two or more things that you use, things that I use to get my way, to win, to make people behave and act as I want them to. In Jeremiah chapter 9, the Bible talks about this in a, different way, but it's exactly the same thing the Bible declares. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom. Let not the strong boast in their strength. Let not the rich boast in their riches. What's what's Jeremiah talking about? Swords. Things, riches, wisdom, strength, things that people use, that people boast about because they are effective in making life work the way we want it to. Judas believed what most of us believe. The problem with Jesus' kingdom was this. It was up against another kingdom, but really what Judas wanted wasn't a new kingdom. He just wanted the same kingdom with new people in it. Same kingdom of power and same tools of power being used in that kingdom. And if we can just get a new group of people in the seats of the kingdom, everything will work right. Don't we believe that every four years? Isn't that the slogan, the motto of the politicians? Let's just clean everybody out that's crummy and put some new people in the same seats using the same tools and everything will be better. Have we not learned what a stupid plan? And yet that's what, we, that's what we've been sold. Problem that Judas discovered is this. Jesus wasn't bringing new people to sit in the same seats of the same Kingdom, because Jesus knew what we tend to forget. If you use the same seats in the same kingdom, using the same tools, you are going to get the same results. I didn't want to mention one more little slogan, our okay. um, our phrase that we've gotten in English from the Bible, and that's the kiss of death. Yeah, yeah. Um, we you know, you've heard of the kiss of death. Um, that comes from this story. That's where that came from. And so, Shirley, what when you think of the kiss of death, what what does that mean? You know, you know, um,
1: it means my doing something that will ensure, or an action or an event uh, that will ensure failure or destruction. So it's kind of like a mother talking to a teenage daughter about you know, a certain thing. You've got to be real careful with that because there's certain there's a certain line you cross and then it's the kiss of death. You know, she's going to... She,
0: Those words are going to drive her, that girl to failure, yeah. to destruction. Yeah, That's yeah,
1: exactly, yeah, yeah. If a mother pushes too hard at a certain place, you know, yes. she's going to... Yeah, so that, that, that ensuring someone's failure... Um,
0: Something that people would do to ensure the failure or the destruction of another. Is that right?
1: Or to to alter the situation in such a way that it's going to turn
0: completely bad. Bad. Go south on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this begs begs the question, did Judas actually give Jesus the kiss of death? It hit me like a ton of bricks. Who who got the kiss of death? Yeah, that's the very thing is... Judas gave Jesus, according to our definition, or Mr. Webster's dictionary, uh, definition, he gave Jesus the kiss of death. Judas impacted Jesus with an event, with an action, with a behavior that doomed Jesus to destruction. That didn't seem right. That didn't seem like how the story goes. And it hit me. There was nothing, including Judas's kiss, that could stop the Father's favor, the Father's blessings, the Father's love, or the Father's plans from the life of Jesus. The only person that Judas could doom was himself. I know most of you very well some of you i'm i'm looking forward to knowing you better but i know most of y'all very well how many of us in this room are jesus didn't give judas the power to thwart his life to stop his life to rob his life to diminish his life Jesus did not give Judas that authority or power. And yet, how many of us in this room have allowed the failure or the wrong of another? We have given them the authority. We have given them the power to ruin our lives. 20 years later, we're still talking about that man that ran out on me and has ruined my life. That mom that talked, the way you were talking about the way a mom talks to a daughter, my mom nagged and went, 20 years later, we're talking about these people that ruined our lives as if it happened last week. I find it very significant. <laughs> Jesus did not. He knew what we don't. There's not a person in this room that can rob me of God's favor, God's blessings, and God's plans. You you don't have that authority. You don't have that power. You can make me sad and you can make me mad. But you can't rob me of the life God has for me. I think that's one of the things that Mark wants us to know. Now quickly, I want to move on. I want to talk about Peter for just a second. Why did John and Mark mention Peter? I think one reason is simply this. Judas shows us how the world responds to obstacles, to problems, to enemies, to threats. We pick up swords and we fight to achieve, to gain, to win, to get our way, to make other people behave and obey. Not Peter. Peter was different. Peter, he, he believed in the Lord. He really did love the Lord. He really was committed to following the Lord and serving the Lord. He, there was no deceit. There was no hypocrisy. There was no hidden agenda. If anyone on the planet was abandoned to Jesus, it was Peter. But when pushed came to shove and Peter felt threatened, Peter got afraid, Peter felt like what was right wasn't being accomplished, he reverted right back to Judas' tactics. He acted exactly like Judas. And he grabbed him a sword and tried to cut somebody's head off. My point is simple. And my point is to the guy that I shaved this morning. It is so friggin' hard to not revert back to the use of the sword. To the belief that the sword... As long as everything's going my way and y'all are all acting nice and Sherry's being sweet to me and there's money in the bank and I'm getting good uh, reports from the doctor and everything's... Praise the Lord. Let's go to church and read our Bible and help the poor and be nice and sing kumbaya. Woo! You let the thermostat get turned up and y'all start getting grumpy and cantankerous and she starts acting irritable and my kids aren't obeying and my grandson's not being nice and my bank account's getting small and I'm getting bad reports from the doctor. It is so hard. I know the sword won't accomplish what God wants. But if I don't fight it every day, it's the reason I get up in the morning and I read my Bible and I pray, I'm trying to fight that, that darkness inside my life that screams out, grab a sword. Grab a sword. You're being blocked you're being denied life's not going your way grab that sword that you know will work and use it yes if, if things are going well stick with that Bible and prayer and God's people and heaven, you know and singing and all that but when that all when that doesn't work you've got you know where to go
1: The interesting thing is Every single one of us in this room and every single person that you know, we, we all know that we've got where that line is for us, right? We all know where yes. that is. So I'm great with you. I mean, I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm great with you, uh, but hey! <laughs> but there's that. There's that don't, don't do that. Don't cross that. Don't touch that. If you do that again, yes. we, we've all got that place, and you can think of yours right now. And so if... if I'm good, I'm good, until you cross that place. And mm. then I feel justified. The reason Peter pulled out his sword is because he felt justified. They were, uh, yes. they were taking the Son of God, they were taking Jesus away. He felt justified to do it. Uh, but it was still the wrong decision. And so mm. I, I think that's important that we all, you know, when you talk to people about um, taking a higher path, forgiving, turning the other cheek, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're like yeah 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 except for I will oh that's great that's a great idea but here's my line that's the line this is it and I think we all know what that is in our lives and that's, a, that's what you're talking about
0: yes it is last person quickly the Lord Jesus I'm not sure that's a good sentence to use but I'm <laughs> I'll stick with it for now I want you to think about the Lord Jesus in this story for just a second I believe that this event on Thursday night happened exactly the way all the uh, gospel writers described it. But if I didn't believe it was so true and so tragic, I think I would find it to be comic. And I do find it tragically humorous That everybody in the story, but Jesus is acting the way they are. The person that should act frantic, terrified, angry, bowed up, uh, running, deceiving, lying, doing anything to get their neck out of the noose, he's the only one that's not he's the only one in this story he's not afraid he's not angry he's not running away naked he's not slashing with an ear he's not creating group uh, groups to uh, uh... uh... create a mob to, to, to force the issue if you read the rest of the story He's not one of the, he's not Pilate or Herod or the high priest doing these fake trials, these mock trials with false witnesses uh, uh, hurling false accusations. Everybody is acting crazy and absurd and pitiful. But the one that should be which group am I in? When things go south and um, everything starts going to Hades in a handbasket and I feel afraid and threatened and angry and hurt and I want to run away or fight, fight or flight, How do y'all, when you look at me and that's all happening, what do you see? Do you see me afraid, mad, on the, the, you know, on the offensive, aggressive, running away, hurling accusations, defending myself? Or do you see me with a calmness and a peace and a courage and the ability to love and to forgive? Not because the people that I'm around deserve it or I even want to do it. But because I have a confidence that my Father, there is nothing that's going to happen in my life today by my, by my hand or by yours that is going to be able to thwart my Father's favor, my Father's blessings, my Father's plans for my life. That question that they asked or that Jesus asked, do you think that I, have you come today because you think that I'm starting a revolution? the answer is he was all four Gospels declare that he it's not he wasn't saying I'm not I just came to show you all what a nice person looks like that's why Jesus came God went to all the trouble of getting Jesus on the earth so that he would be a poster child for niceness no that's not why Jesus came he was nice I'm not saying he wasn't but that's not why he came Jesus came to start a new kingdom. But folks, He came to start a kingdom with new seats that will be inhabited by new people. But it will be a kingdom that operates by new tools.
1: New rules.
0: New rules, new tools. And it won't be a kingdom that operates by power at least not the power of Israel and Rome and not the not a kingdom that operates by the power of Hollywood or Wall Street or anything else that our world can create or Washington DC for that matter regardless of your flavor that's not that's not Jesus came to start a new kingdom and I wanted you Shirley if you would to read what does is, what is Jesus' kingdom, what does that kingdom look like? How does it operate? Who is placed in seats in this kingdom? And we'll end with this. You've
1: heard this, but listen with new ears if you can. John, uh, Luke 6. 20
0: through 31. Mm-hmm.
1: Here's the new rules. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who are weak, weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the sons of man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you only have your happiness now? What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you? What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow? What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets? But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others what you would like them to do to you.
0: What an absurd, foolish, ridiculous offensive set of power tools to be, for him to suggest should be the operating climate for the kingdom that he's establishing.
1: They're crazy rules for this kingdom.
0: Yes. That's why it's so important that we Don't be confused. God's not trying to change this kingdom. I'm sorry. He is not trying to improve this kingdom. He is coming to establish a new kingdom. And He has invited us to be a part of that. But the kingdom of God will operate by the rules and the tools that my bride just read to us. Do we see that? Have we signed up for that? That's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Overcoming evil with good choosing to be last because that's how you become first in His kingdom. Forgiving my enemies, turning the other cheek, blessing people who cannot return the favor, blessing people that are cursing and hating me and despitefully using me. I don't know how that applies to you. I'm shamefully aware of how it applies to me. But this is the fifth week of Lent and this is a time that Christianity has chosen for 2,000 years for us to seriously reflect and remember and try to grasp and embrace the life and the ministry, and the death and the resurrection of the King of this kingdom. We're going we're gonna, to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, would y'all come help me? I'm going to let y'all come over on this side and stand right there. And uh, Beck and Gail, y'all come up here and help me, please. Y'all get over here on this side. For 2,000 years... The church has gathered on a regular basis and provided for people a symbol not that they came up with, but that the Lord Jesus came up with. And on that Thursday night, the Thursday night we just talked about, He took bread, and broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, this represents my body. And He took drink, the cup, and gave it to His disciples and He said, this represents my blood, that which I'm going to offer tomorrow for your sin. And so that my dad can have a relationship with you because he wants it more than life itself. The church offers this not because it's magical but because it represents that which we believe is the means of eternal life. And so if that is your belief if that is what you have entrusted your eternal destiny to and your invitation into this kingdom that Shirley and I talked about today then I want you to come and eat and drink. We have uh, there's bread you can take a piece of, and then there's open cups of uh, drink, and then there's also covered little cups that you can uh, use if you'd rather. But um, just pause before you come and reflect on this idea of Judas and his sword, Peter and his sword, and a kingdom that Jesus is offering and establishing where there are no swords other than the Word of God. There is a sword, Mm -hmm. but it's the the Word of His mouth. And uh, Jesus doesn't doesn't bully people or manipulate people. He invites people. And that's what I'm doing today is inviting you to come and remember and reflect and give thanks. Maybe the day you you realize that you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've been around it maybe your whole life, and you've just been a part of the culture and the crowd. But you realize, I want to be a member of the kingdom. I want to be a part of the family of God, not just around the family of God. I want to be a member of the family. Not this church. You can do that if you want, but... I mean the, the family of God. If that's your desire, I invite you just to let me know after the service and I would love to talk to you about that in more detail. Father God, we pause and ask the Holy Spirit to please help us understand what You're saying to us today, what the Spirit of God is saying to His people today. Help us, God, to to identify what our swords are. Help us to see the damage that those swords are doing. And God, help us to, to choose You and your tools of power, your kingdom over that of the world. God, no one can break free of that trap apart from the ministry of your Spirit. But you can set us free from that which enslaves us. And we pray that you would. And now we eat and we drink just to tell you that we're thankful and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.